Letter forty six of Clarissa Harlowe, volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, volume four by Samuel Richardson. Letter forty six. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Sunday morning, seven o'clock. I was at the play last night with Mr. Lovelace and Miss Horton. It is, you know, a deep and most affecting tragedy in the reading. You have my remarks upon it, in the little book you made me write upon the principal acting plays. You will not wonder that Miss Horton, as well as I, was greatly moved at the representation when I tell you, and have some pleasure in telling you, that Mr. Lovelace himself was very sensibly touched with some of the most affecting scenes. I mention this in praise of the author's performance, for I take Mr. Lovelace to be one of the most hard-hearted men in the world. Upon my word, my dear, I do. His behaviour, however, on this occasion, and on our return, was unexceptionable, only that he would oblige me to stay to supper with the women below when we came back, and to sit up with him, and them, till near one o'clock this morning. I was resolved to be even with him, and indeed I am not very sorry to have the pretence, for I love to pass the Sundays by myself. To have the better excuse, to avoid his teasing, I am ready dressed to go to church this morning. I will go only to St. James's Church, and in a chair, that I may be sure I can go out and come in when I please without being intruded upon by him as i was twice before near nine o'clock i have your kind letter of yesterday he knows i have and i shall expect that he will be inquisitive next time i see him after your opinions of his proposals i doubted not your approbation of them and had written an answer on that presumption which is ready for him he must study for occasions of procrastination and to disoblige me if now anything happens to set us at variance again he is very importunate to see me he has desired to attend me to church. He is angry that I have declined to breakfast with him. I am sure that I should not have been at my own liberty if I had. I bid Dorcas tell him that I desired to have this day to myself. I would see him in the morning as early as he pleased. She says she knows not what ails him, but that he is out of humour with everybody. He has sent again in a peremptory manner. He warns me of Singleton. I sent him word that if he was not afraid of Singleton at the playhouse last night, I need not at church to-day, so many churches to one playhouse. I have accepted of his servant's proposed attendance, but he is quite displeased, it seems. I don't care. I will not be perpetually at his insolent beck. Adieu, my dear, till I return. The chair waits. He won't stop me, sure, as I go down to it. I did not see him as I went down. He is, it seems, excessively out of humour. Dorcas says not with me neither, she believes, but something has vexed him. This is perhaps to make me dine with him. But I will not, if I can help it. I shan't get rid of him for the rest of the day, if I do. He was very earnest to dine with me, but I was resolved to carry this one small point, and so denied to dine myself, and, indeed, I was endeavouring to write to my cousin Morden, and had begun three different times without being able to please myself. He was very busy in writing, Dorcas says, and pursued it without dining, because I denied him my company. He afterwards demanded, as I may say, to be admitted to afternoon tea with me, and appealed by Dorcas to his behaviour to me last night, as if I sent him word by her, he thought he had a merit in being unexceptionable. However, I repeated my promise to meet him as early as he pleased in the morning, or to breakfast with him. Dorcas says he raved. I heard him loud, and I heard his servant fly from him, as I thought. You, my dearest friend, say in one of yours that you must have somebody to be angry at when your mother sets you up. I should be very loath to draw comparisons, but the workings of passion, when indulged, are but too much alike, whether in man or woman. He has just sent me word that he insists upon supping with me. As we had been in a good train for several days past, I thought it not prudent to break with him for little matters. Yet to be in a manner threatened into his will, I know not how to bear that. 
while i was considering he came up and tapping at my door told me in a very angry tone he must see me this night he could not rest till he had been told what he had done to deserve the treatment i gave him treatment i gave him a wretch yet perhaps he has nothing new to say to me i shall be very angry with him as the lady could not know what mr lovelace's designs were nor the cause of his ill-humour it will not be improper to pursue the subject from his letter having described his angry manner of demanding in person her company at supper he proceeds as follows tis hard answered the fair perverse that i am to be so little my own mistress i will meet you in the dining-room half an hour hence i went down to wait the half-hour all the women set me hard to give her cause for this tyranny they demonstrated as well from the nature of the sex as of the case that i had nothing to hope for from my tameness and could meet with no worse treatment were i to be guilty of the last offence they urged me vehemently to try at least what effect some greater familiarities than i had ever taken with her would have and their arguments being strengthened by my just resentments on the discoveries i had made i was resolved to take some liberties as they were received to take still greater and lay all the fault upon her tyranny in this humour i went up and never had paralytic so little command of his joints as i had while i walked about the dining-room attending her motions with an erect mien she entered her face averted her lovely bosom swelling and the more charmingly protuberant for the erectness of her mien oh jack that sullenness and reserve should add to the charms of this haughty maid but in every attitude in every humour in every gesture is beauty beautiful by her averted face and indignant aspect i saw the dear insolent was disposed to be angry but by the fierceness of mine as my trembling hand seized hers i soon made fear her predominant passion and yet the moment i beheld her my heart was dastardized and my reverence for the virgin purity so visible in her whole deportment again took place surely belford this is an angel and yet had she not been known to be a female they would not from babyhood have dressed her as such nor would she but upon that conviction have continued the dress let me ask you madam i beseech you tell me what i have done to deserve this distant treatment and let me ask you mr lovelace why are my retirements to be thus invaded what can you have to say to me since last night that i went with you so much against my will to the play and after sitting up with you equally against my will till a very late hour this i have to say madam that i cannot bear to be kept at this distance from you under the same roof under the same roof sir how came you hear me out madam letting go her trembling hands and snatching them back again with an eagerness that made her start i have a thousand things to say to talk of relating to our present and future prospects but when i want to open my whole soul to you you are always contriving to keep me at a distance you make me inconsistent with myself your heart is set upon delays you must have views that you will not own tell me madam i conjure you to tell me this moment without subterfuge or reserve in what light am i to appear to you in future i cannot bear this distance the suspense you hold me in i cannot bear in what light mr lovelace visibly terrified in no bad light i hope pray mr lovelace do not grasp my hands so hard endeavouring to withdraw them pray let me go you hate me madam i hate nobody sir you hate me madam repeated i instigated and resolved as i came up i wanted some new provocation the devil indeed as soon as my angel made her appearance crept out of my heart but he had left the door open and was no further off than my elbow you come up in no good temper i see mr lovelace but pray be not violent i have done you no hurt pray be not violent sweet creature and i clasped one arm about her holding one hand in my other you have done me no hurt i could have devoured her but restraining myself you have done me the greatest hurt and what have i deserved the distance you keep me at i knew not what to say she struggled to disengage herself pray mr lovelace let me withdraw 
i know not why this is i know not what i have done to offend you i see you are come with a design to quarrel with me if you would not terrify me by the ill humour you are in permit me to withdraw i will hear all you have to say another time to-morrow morning as i sent you word but indeed you frighten me i beseech you if you have any value for me permit me to withdraw night midnight is necessary belford surprise terror must be necessary to the ultimate trial of this charming creature say the women below what they will i could not hold my purposes this was not the first time that i had intended to try if she could forgive i kissed her hand with a fervour as if i would have left my lips upon it withdraw then dearest and ever dear creature indeed i entered in a very ill humour i cannot bear the distance at which you so causelessly keep me withdraw madam since it is your will to withdraw and judge me generously judge me but as i deserve to be judged and let me hope to meet you to-morrow morning early in such a temper as becomes our present situation and my future hopes and so saying i conducted her to the door and left her there but instead of going down to the women i went into my own chamber and locked myself in ashamed of being awed by her majestic loveliness and apprehensive virtue into so great a change of purpose notwithstanding i had such just provocations from the letters of her saucy friend formed on her own representations of facts and situations between herself and me the lady dated sunday night thus describes her terrors and mr lovelace's behaviour on the occasion on my entering the dining-room he took my hand in his in such a humour i saw plainly he was resolved to quarrel with me and for what what had i done to him i never in my life beheld in anybody such wild such angry such impatient airs i was terrified and instead of being as angry as i intended to be i was forced to be all mildness i can hardly remember what were his first words i was so frighted but you hate me madam you hate me madam were some of them with such a fierceness i wish myself a thousand miles distant from him i hate nobody said i i thank god i hate nobody you terrify me mr lovelace let me leave you the man my dear looked quite ugly i never saw a man look so ugly as passion made him look and for what and so he grasped my hands fierce creature he so grasped my hands in short he seemed by his looks and by his words once putting his arms about me to wish me to provoke him so that i had nothing to do but to beg of him which i did repeatedly to permit me to withdraw and to promise to meet him at his own time in the morning it was with a very ill grace that he complied on that condition and at parting he kissed my hand with such a savageness that a redness remains upon it still do you not think my dear that i have reason to be incensed at him my situation considered am i not under a necessity as it were of quarrelling with him at least every other time i see him no prudery no coquetry no tyranny in my heart or in my behaviour to him that i know of no affected procrastination aiming at nothing but decorum he as much concerned and so he ought to think as i to have that observed too much in his power cast upon him by the cruelty of my relations no other protection to fly to but his one plain path before us yet such embarrasses such difficulties such subjects for doubt for cavil for uneasiness as fast as one is obviated another to be introduced and not by myself no not how introduced what pleasure can i propose to myself in meeting such a wretch perfect for me my dearest miss howe perfect for me i beseech you your kind scheme with mrs townsend and i will then leave this man my temper i believe is changed no one of it be i question whether ever it will be what it was but i cannot make him half so uneasy by the change as i am myself see you not how from step to step he grows upon me i tremble to look back upon his encroachments and now to give me cause to apprehend more evil from him than indignation will permit me to express oh my dear perfect your scheme and let me fly from so strange a wretch yet to be first an eloper from my friends to him as the world supposes 
and now to be so from him, to whom I know not. How hard to one who ever endeavoured to shun intricate paths! But he must certainly have views in quarrelling with me thus, which he dare not own. Yet what can they be? I am terrified but to think of what they may be. Let me but get from him. As to my reputation, if I leave him, that is already too much wounded for me now to be careful about anything, but how to act so as that my own heart shall not reproach me. As to the world's censure, I must be content to suffer that. An unhappy composition, however. What a wreck have my fortune suffered, to be obliged to throw overboard so many valuables, to preserve, indeed, the only valuable. A composition that once it would have half broken my heart to think there would have been the least danger that I should be obliged to submit to. You, my dear, could not be a stranger to my most secret failings, although you would not tell me of them. What a pride did I take in the applause of every one! What a pride, even in supposing I had not that pride! which concealed itself from my unexamining heart under the specious veil of humility, doubling the merit to myself by the supposed, and indeed imputed gracefulness in the manner of conferring benefits, when I had not a single merit in what I did, vastly overpaid by the pleasure of doing some little good, and impelled, as I may say, by talents given me, for what? Not to be proud of. So desirous, in short, to be considered as an example, a vanity which my partial admirers put into my head, and so secure in my own virtue, I am punished enough, enough mortified for this my vanity. I hope enough, if it so please the all-gracious inflictor, since now I verily think I more despise myself for my presumptuous self-security as well as vanity, than ever I secretly vaunted myself for my good inclinations. Secretly, I say, however, for, indeed, I had not given myself leisure to reflect till I was thus mortified, how very imperfect I was, nor how much truth there is in what divines tell us, that we sin in our best performances." but I was very young. But here let me watch over myself again, for in those four words I was very young. Is there not a palliation couch, that were enough to take all efficacy from the discovery and confession? What strange imperfect beings! But self here, which is at the bottom of all we do, and of all we wish, is the grand misleader. I will not apologise to you, my dear, for these grave reflections. Is it not enough to make the unhappy creature look into herself, and endeavour to detect herself, who, from such a high reputation, left to proud and presumptuous self, should by one thoughtless step be brought to the dreadful situation I am in. Let me, however, look forward. To despond would be to add sin to sin. And whom have I to raise me up, whom to comfort me, if I desert myself? Thou, O Father, who I hope hast not yet deserted, hast not yet cursed me, for I am thine. It is fit that mediation should supply the rest. I was so disgusted with him, as well as frighted by him, that, on my return to my chamber, in a fit of passionate despair, I tore almost in two the answer I had written to his proposals. I will see him in the morning, because I promised I would, but I will go out, and that without him or any attendant, if he account not tolerably for his sudden change of behaviour, and a proper opportunity offer of a private lodging in some creditable house, I will not any more return to this, at present I think so, and there will I either attend the perfecting of your scheme, or by your epistolary mediation make my own terms with the wretch, since it is your opinion that I must be his, and cannot help myself or perhaps take a resolution to throw myself at once into Lady Betty's protection, and this will hinder him from making his insolently threatened visit to Harlow Place. The lady writes again on Monday evening, and gives her friend an account of all that passed between herself and Mr. Lovelace that day, and of her being terrified out of her purpose of going out. But Mr. Lovelace's next letters, giving a more ample account of all, hers are omitted. It is proper, however, to mention that she re-urges Miss Howe, from the dissatisfaction she has reason for, from what passed between Mr. Lovelace and herself, to perfect her scheme in relation to Mrs. Townsend, 
She concludes this letter in these words. I should say something of your last favour, but a few hours ago received, and of your dialogue with your mother. Are you not very whimsical, my dear? I have but two things to wish for on this occasion. The one, that your charming pleasantry had a better subject than that you find for it in this dialogue. The other, that my situation were not such as must too often damp that pleasantry in you, and will not permit me to enjoy it as I used to do. Be, however, happy in yourself, though you cannot in your Clarissa Harlow. End of letter 46